The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. There can't be misunderstandings when there's no understandings at all. Hear that, Ryan? That was proof that Kyle actually read the book. That was a line from the book. It Very was good. A line yeah, or at least he looked at the last few pages. There you go. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig Hanks, and I am your host. And over there, well, if I could use this skill, I'd use it to find out what in the world is going on in the head of Ryan Bruckman. You don't want to be in there for more than a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and his hair is so long, I'd actually need to use the wit to communicate with him. It's Kyle Lemon. It's feathered and lethal. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Um, all right, so welcome everybody. Today is, if you didn't know from the insults, today is Assassin's Apprentice. This is Farseer Book One, and uh, we've been really looking forward to this because uh, this is the last of the batch of paid for, bought and paid for episodes. Yes. Uh, so last year when we were building Legendarium Studio, we uh, we put out the call and said if you donate to the building of this studio, then each dollar you donate will be a vote for, uh, you know, whatever you want us to read. And Farseer came in third place with, I, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it was hundreds of votes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so people were very generous trying to get us to read this book. And so it's, uh, I, I, so I'm excited that we're finally getting to talk about it. So after this one, we're back in charge on picking the content and you're all screwed. <laughs> So before we get to it, though, uh, I will remind everybody, patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can go and support the show. Not only can you go and support the show, but you can get some different goodies there. I finally pulled the trigger on changing the $5 patron tier. And so now uh, there is exclusive video content. For instance, after we wrap up this episode, the three of us are going to stick around and do some Q&A stuff on video that I will post to the Patreon page. So only $5 uh, patrons will get access to that content. We're going to be trying to do that on a, on, on a regular basis. Weekly would be great, uh, but at least a couple times a month. Um, I'm going to hand over a, a card, a little SD card to Ryan so that he can work on some, uh, what did we play? D&D. Yeah. Uh, we did some D&D video a couple weeks ago. It's going to be fantastic. So I hope. I mean, I hope it's not boring as af as the kids say uh but anyway that's patreon also go to the legendarium.reddit.com where you can join the conversation for instance if you have anything you want to yell at us about and you will after this episode uh you can go to the legendarium that is by the way there is something called legendarium.reddit.com not us it's a huh. it's a private subreddit i have to imagine it has something to do with tolkien but i have no idea uh, there is also a c TV series and you find that I found this out through our YouTube searches legendarium has something to do with like winks fairies yeah it, I think it's like Ukrainian or something like that it's yeah. so it could be you know a very private it's like you know my little pony like the bronies page for <laughs> I hope it for is I hope winks it fairies. is now um, anyway so that's not us uh, we are the legendarium.reddit.com uh, you can also join us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram 
and on YouTube, uh, where we're going to have more videos coming up here, uh, like this one. So this will be on YouTube. Okay. I think that's enough throat clearing. Am I missing anything? Am I forgetting anything? Uh, no? Good? Great? Yep, let's move on. Grand. Let's do it. So today, again, we're talking about Assassin's Apprentice, Farseer number one. I have a recap for you guys, uh, just like I usually do. And here it is. <clears throat> what if the Wheel of Time had started with book eight? <laughs> <laughs> So, Ryan, what did you think of Assassin's Apprentice? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's not the whole recap. I'm just I, I have an actual recap. Uh, Fitz Chivalry Farseer is the bastard son of a deceased lord, a lord who was heir to his kingdom. Now, Fitz finds himself alone and unwanted at court, which is a dangerous position to be in for a bastard, one who could potentially upset the balance of power in the future. The solution? Become a valuable member of the royal family, and the traditional role of the inconvenient bastard is that of an assassin. While Fitz trains in both the art of political assassination and the birthright magic of the royal family, raiders are harassing the kingdom's coastal towns, using an unknown power to create heartless zombies and sow discord throughout the kingdom. And through all of this, Fitz must navigate the politics of succession, which are raging among the two surviving princes. It all culminates in a royal wedding where Fitz will need to put all of his fledgling skills to the test if he wants to survive. Now, if all that sounds like a great setup to an exciting book, you might be right. So, Kyle. <laughs> I am, sounds exciting. I am going to start with you. What's up? I'm going to throw this to you uh, because you were the most recent finisher of this book. I finished last night. I fin Ryan finished yeah. like three months ago. I finished like you know, 45 minutes ago. Well, <laughs> so, I don't know. We sat here and messed around for that long. So uh, give it an hour. Yeah. So you just finished the book. Yeah. And you read it almost in one sitting. Yes. Uh, you know, with some exceptions, I yes. guess. Yes. Uh, but you read most of it today. Yes. And uh, how'd it go? Uh, not only does my back hurt, but also my soul from doing that. <laughs> uh, it was fine. It was, it was a pretty big, like I had to exert all the willpower that I have to be able to accomplish this. Uh, it was not what I would call a page turner. So that's about how it went. I, okay. I think I, I think I texted you guys like, "Hey, are we still on for eight? And you're like, "Yeah, we're planning on it." And I was like, "Great, okay, I'm ready." <laughs> I just read the whole thing, and you were like, "Woof," <laughs> and, and that about sums it up. Uh, I, it was good to get ready for the podcast, but I wouldn't recommend it. And I don't know if maybe that has soured my view on the book because I was because you because you were because reading because I fast. was reading it too fast, and I so I do want to try to be fair and and you know be self-aware that i probably didn't do this in the most uh generous of settings sure but uh had we not committed to read this book i would have put it down probably before lunchtime okay ryan uh it's been a little while since you finished it so um, yeah. I, do you feel like you still have a good handle on the plot and everything? You still remember everything? Yeah, I've gone and I went back and did a, a review and kind of looked through uh, some different notes and some things just to make sure that I rem remembered what happened here because I finished this full trilogy. I've finished all three books. That's amazing. Um, and that change for me, having finished all three, changes my perspective on 
the books individually a little bit and uh, the way that Robin Hobb writes to try and speak to just this book. I remember reading this book and I, for me, my, most of my reads are audiobooks in the car on the way here. And maybe some of it is attributed to the, the, narrator. the narrator, but I remember frequently thinking, when when am I going to click and mm-hmm. get engaged in this book? When do I when do I get engaged in what's happening here? When do I buy in? I'm looking for a reason to to yep. to love this series, and I wasn't getting that. And that's that probably speaks more to me than to this book, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think I think Robin Hobb as an author writes very well, like like the prose, the you prose, mean? everything is really good, but. In terms of writing a connection for, for me to to have, yeah, yeah, it just I wasn't care I, about fits. I feel the same way. I think I was I was expecting again set myself up for failure. Like, oh, I'm gonna have to push through. But I was expecting if I push through and get forty percent in here, I'll be connected enough, and then I'll it'll start to go. Uh, and yeah, I just I wasn't interested in fits. I didn't care about any of the the peripheral characters with like like Burrich and Burrich and- or like even just like the history I didn't really care about chivalry his dad like like all that kind of stuff I didn't care and when you have the whole uh dog and his boy thing and then there was this traumatic uh ending of that relationship right I I was supposed to feel something there and I was just like okay maybe we'll get on to something interesting now and that didn't happen yeah so yeah uh, no, I, I understand that. I think this is just, um, it's so wildly different from the things that we normally read on the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, we tend to read things that, um, that are that are simply paced differently. You you have you have your character set up. You have some world building. Oh, we need an action beat. Um, and then we do this relationship and make sure that there's some intrigue and an action beat. And, you know, and there's a kind of a recognizable pattern. This followed none of that. Mm-hmm. And so the pacing is so wildly different that it uh, it doesn't surprise me that all three of us were a little bit like, wait, what is going on? It's And we, I, I know Ryan and I at least were really frustrated. And it sounds like you were mm-hmm. as well, Kyle, really frustrated in a few points. I remember, gosh, this is a month or two ago, Ryan texted me. You were either almost finished or completely finished with the whole trilogy. And you told me privately, you said like, like you are going to, you're going to be super frustrated with a lot of the decisions that Robin Hobb makes in the writing of these books. And I was like, oh, now I'm intrigued. Uh. <laughs> now I'm in, oh man, I really want to read this. And you were right, but it took, it, like it took me a while to even get to the point where I could be frustrated. There was a point, um, and by the way, spoilers for the entire book. Yeah. If you haven't read the book, spoilers for the whole book. Um, so he spends a good chunk of the middle of the book uh, training to become an assassin. He's an mm-hmm. assassin's apprentice. And so he is hanging out with Chade and they are uh, discussing the finer points of political assassination. And there's a whole thing about um, like, do you think you'll be able to kill somebody when it comes to that? Ooh, and he says, Fitz says, I, I, don't, I don't know. And Shade says, that's fine. You don't have to decide that right now. 
<clears throat> you just learn the skills, we'll get you set up uh, to be able to do it, and then you you don't you can't know what your decision will be until that moment. And and I'm sitting there going, oh, this is gonna be good. <clears throat> this sorry, excuse me, my throat is is clogging up here. Um, so this is gonna be really interesting, uh, an interesting path to Look go down. Look forward for that. Look forward to that moment. Yeah, this what a what a moment when he's confronted with the choice. Um, and then it's, uh, I actually have it written down here. It's in chapter 18. He's been, he, he went through something kind of difficult and mm -hmm. then he spends the summer in a, in a Harry Potter five kind of funk. Um, and then we get this following paragraph in the middle of chapter 18 with no lead up and no fanfare. It says, uh, that summer over three months, I killed 17 times for the king. Well, holy forking shirt balls <laughs> for all you the I good place fans out there. I love the good place. Yeah. Uh, so, I was I was just like I was driving at the time, or yeah, I think I was driving at the time, and I got to that, and I just about just jerked the wheel <laughs> into the guardrail and like into oncoming traffic because I just didn't want to live it anymore. So, it was so good. You you'd reach the. <laughs> The peak of your existence. It was, and here's the thing: is like I, I can't speak to whether this was a good decision. You know, does does this make it a a bad book? No, it doesn't make it a bad book. It, but it was so jarring to my expectations uh, that it made me personally, mm -hmm. as as this particular reader, it made me very so, frustrated. So. And maybe I'm just forgetting because the reading this was all a blur. So if I am yeah, speaking yeah. here, please correct me. But so you and I have talked about, well, all, all of us have talked about several times in our different series. Like I'm a big character guy, right? I like the character driven story. Uh, we've talked about like different stories. Like there's no overlying like end of the world scenario or whatever. I'm okay with that usually. I don't need to have the 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 whole world's at stake for it to be a good story for me. However, this had no drive. There was no there was no like overarching goal right. or plot really, I guess, for me to latch onto and think, oh, but there's this reason why he's becoming a, an assassin or there's this reason that he needs to do this. Mm -hmm. And for me, not having that the characters needed to be way more interesting. So that's what I was going to ask you because, uh, again, we're going to call back to stuff that we have already sure. read and uh, The Name of the Wind, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, or I suppose The King Killer Chronicle in general, um, that is a story that is not plot-driven. I sure. mean, there, there are things that happen, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, there, there, there is plot, mm -hmm. but you don't start with like, you know, it's not like, oh, and mm -hmm. then in chapter two, uh, we find out that it's yeah. the ring of Sauron yeah. and then you have to go on a quest. Mm -hmm. uh, but are you, so are you so saying I was, that actually, it's more worth it well, because of the characters? Or I something? actually was thinking about this exact thing. Quoth in the name of the wind has a purpose and that is to discover the Chandrian. So, or figure out like he wants to know as much as possible about the Chandrian. And, and even if you leave it at that, there's at least something that's driving that character forward in all of these episodic adventures that he has. Something always comes back to, oh yeah, he wants to get into the into the archives to read about the Chandrian, or yeah. hey, he goes to this farm and he finds this thing about the Chandrian. You know what I mean? And so 
there's always that driving him. And in this, I don't know what Fitz cares about. Yeah, no, I think that's... Uh... Besides his dog. Well, yeah, and... <laughs> what? Sorry, yeah, that's... I mean, like, yeah, what does he care about? Why, why go through... I mean, other than the fact that, like, hey, you're the king's bastard, and they're usually assassins, so we should put you in this training... Why? Why does he care? So, so I agree, and and I think there may have been a fatal flaw, at least in my limited uh, opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be a fatal flaw in the fact that this is written in the first, first person, person. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like you said, Fitz Fitz is almost a non-entity. He there are all these things happening around him, but he doesn't have any personality or objective. <laughs> to make him interesting. And so by limiting it to that character, it frankly makes it boring. Mm-hmm. So the when you talk about a such a limited first person view, I immediately jump to Harry Potter uh, because that's essentially what those books are. Um, that's limited third person, I guess. But it, you know, similarly it it follows this one character, and frankly, Harry Potter is not that exciting. But there is but there's a central conflict for him to be involved with. And you're made very aware of that through each mm-hmm. book. Uh, and then there's also a ton of very colorful characters around Harry Potter uh, doing interesting things and saying interesting things, whether it's, you know, the Dursleys or the, the Weasleys or mm-hmm. whoever else. Um, and so this didn't really have that. You had Burrich, mm-hmm. uh, but he's boring. I mean, personality-wise, I, I was interested in what, what his backstory was. I wanted to mm-hmm. know who he was and where he came from and all that. But, like, as a person, he's boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mean, any, anybody who you did have who you're like, oh, that's somebody we should <clears throat> find more uh, out about. Chade, Verity, um, and then who's the skill master? Uh, uh, G- oh, G- Galen. G- Galen. Galen. Like, you know, characters like that where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, these are interesting characters. Even if you hate them, mm-hmm. they're interesting characters. Um, but like, well, but she never, she never dives yeah. into any. And of there's, them. I mean, there's all the subplots and like, obviously at the end where it's like, Hey, he's supposed to be, uh, going to assassinate, um, the bride's brother, brother. the brother. Yeah. Right, what's right, his right, name? Right. And so like, that is really it. The idea of that is super intriguing to me. And I thought it was really cool. Like, Oh, this could be something that that's happening around him. That is interesting. But that doesn't happen until 75% into the book yep. or so. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for him to have wanted to be this assassin. And there's nothing, like I said, like I said earlier, there's nothing driving him to do these things. And I just like, it kept coming up. There was the whole incident where was it gay? I can't remember who it was. Cause all of these names are a blur to me and we can talk about the naming convention later. Cause that drove me nuts. But Whoever it was that told him, hey, you need to sneak into the king's room and, and you need steal. to steal something from him. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's I'm a <laughs> king's man. I can't do that. That just is not appropriate or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out that it's like this whole idea that the king wanted him to, to test him yeah. to see whether or not he would do it or not. But here's my thought. like, You're training to be an assassin. You're supposed to be proving everything to whoever's training you that you're willing to do these things. That's a very typical 
assassin type thing to do to sneak in, get something, be unnoticed, whatever. And I guess my question is, where does this loyalty to the king come from? from uh, okay, from being that a king's one, man. Well, that one, <laughs> that one, I feel like I can answer. Just like that did have something, and at the very beginning, when he, the king, first encounters Fitz in the kitchen, mm -hmm. uh, he uses the skill on mm -hmm. him, uh, and kind of like binds him that way. So I think mm -hmm. there, there's more to it than just like, okay, like, oh, I like the king. It's there was some sort of magical impression made or a connection made between the two of them by the king, but that's kind of skipped over. And that reminds me, um, I, I made a little list. It's only six or seven items, but I made a little list of avenues that we could have gone down in this book that would have been interesting to have some follow through on, mm -hmm. but that we got nothing or not nothing, but we got no follow through. The skill, mm -hmm. yeah. The, yeah, there were things that were that happened, but what is it? How does it work? How do you practice it? What all you had was uh, the stuff with Galen beating crap out of him and being angry at him. Well, and so, he and him almost beating Galen, right? Mm -hmm. At first, like, oh, so he's powerful in it, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, the wit, mm -hmm. so his connection with animals, the succession stuff with the two princes. Mm -hmm. um, where you finally get that in the last 20 pages, 30 pages of the book, uh, you finally realize how much stuff is going on, mm -hmm. but you've had no clue up to that point. Uh, the romance with him and the girl from the Chandlery. Molly. Uh, Molly. Molly Nosebleed. You. Molly Nosebleed. Uh, teenage politics in the castle. Um, other stable hands, younger generations of royals, the other skill trainees. Um, there's a lot to farm there. Uh, the raiders and the forged ones yeah, could have done something there. And so she brings all these things up and it's all kind of, I, I don't know if it's because Fitz is such a, a, a boring, lowly character who doesn't understand the world around him yet, but we're not allowed to either. We're not allowed to follow any of these threads to an interesting story. Mm -hmm. They just kind of, you just kind of plow along and they pass by you on the side, right? I, I don't know. And I, I, right now, those of you who love this series who are still listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. And who are just sitting here going, no, you're you wrong. You don't get it. You, there are answers to all those things. Yes, but they're not in this book. Ah, uh, okay. That's the thing. Well, that's part of the reason why I'm talking about these books in a vacuum a lot of the people who write, I've, a lot of the reviews I've read, they talk about how great Fitz is as a, as a character in this series, and they also talk about the Tawny Man series and about Robin Hobb's work as a as a larger piece, including her uh, Dragon series and the the ships. Um, I don't remember them off the top of my head. That this world that she's created as a whole, that she's fantastic writing. And she is, I am sure. I I, I can tell the word the the makings of greatness in this author here, but in this book itself, we were given no answers to a lot of questions. Yeah. And there wasn't enough payoff to enjoy the process of getting to the answers that are coming. That's where we're at right here with this one. Because um, I, So I, I, that's I, encouraging. You, you are encouraging me right now. And yes. That's great. Um, but yeah, this book, this book, very frustrating. Absolutely. And, you might people argue that you know epic fantasy takes a while to get started, but there is 
even in in Eye of the World, in uh, Way of Kings, Way of Kings, Mistborn, any of these that your beginning still has its own semi-encapsulated story that's enjoyable, that has points, milestones to stop off at, and we don't get a lot of those. In this book, I can think of uh, the battle with Galen, um, the first time he sh- like uses the skill, yep. and uh, the final sequence at the wedding. Or mm-hmm. like- the, the moment I remember texting you, I think I, I think I texted you. I remember texting you even if I didn't because I was high. Okay. Um, but... <laughs> The point for me where I was like, I was really into it was when he does Galen's test. Mm-hmm. Galen ships him off north of, uh, what's it called? Forge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he has to make his way back. And so he's kind of waiting for Galen to get in touch with him. Of course, he never does. Um, and then he senses uh, the dog. What's the dog's name? Nosy. Nosy. No, that's the first dog. The second dog is... Um, Oh, uh, <sighs> whatever. I can't remember. Uh, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yes, the one, the one in the barn that that, yeah. that tries to save Burrich. That the saves save, Burrich. Yeah, yeah. So he senses that the dog is dying. There's, you know, he's sensing this kind of fight going mm-hmm. on in the stable through the eyes of this dog, and then the dog gets stabbed several times, and uh, you know, is, is dying, and he's trying to get back to Buck Keep to save the dog. And during that sequence, I was. I was in, yeah, because I mean, you brought this up, I think, before we started uh, recording, where uh, a lot of the positive reviews of this book from readers are they kind of center around the boy and his dog, and that relationship, and, mm-hmm. and how nice that is. And I agree that it was very compelling to me. Um, anytime he bonded with a dog, I was I was interested in that. And so that moment, I was like, oh man, this is gonna be, this is gonna be so interesting. And then. In the middle of his trek home, the dog dies, and then he goes back and he talks to Birch, and Birch is pissed at him, and then nothing. He has a mopey he, period afterwards. He has he has a mopey period. He has but several like, mopey periods. He does, but like, who killed the dog? Go find out. Go find out who killed the dog. Yeah, you know, have some sort of like make this moment, this uh, emotional, painful moment, make that a driver of some story, mm-hmm. and it just stops that thread just falls down and, and it stops. Anyway, so those those moments were very frustrating. And I, and I think because they do find out who kills the dog. Uh, this, yeah, later, yeah. at the very, very end, by accident. Yes, exactly. That's one of the things. Like, move that storyline point up and all of a sudden I have a quest for him to go on that I'm excited yeah. about, that I'm invested in. Do that. There's There are a number of really, I, I think that they're really good scenes but there's there's lack of connection there because for example the one you brought up earlier um, the stealing something from the king mm-hmm. the stealing the silver knife from the king's quarters mm-hmm. that I want and you're like okay we have a we have a conundrum here we have a paradox mm-hmm. I'm a king's man I cannot do this to the king but I also have to be an assassin and show them my my skills here wonderful this is good this is good you know, reading this is good writing I'm excited about this and then he goes back to Chade and they talks about how that's not a fair test that you shouldn't have done that to me uh he kind of whines and complains about it and then he sticks the knife in the mantelpiece and the, that he's got it and i was like there are a lot of people that i've read that they love that moment like, I, th- I thought that was a great moment it's, it's great like fantastic now deal with the ramifications of the of the choice <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you stick the knife in the mantelpiece 
tell Chade that that wasn't a fair fight or that that wasn't a fair thing to do. And then you walk away and never have to be questioned about whether you're a king's man again. Yeah. Like, <sighs> uh, yeah, the, the, I, I will bring up one more thing and, uh, and then we can get, kind of get off of this uh, particular, uh, stop beating this horse. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's see. Okay, so early on, there's mention of Shrewd's wife, um, who was addicted to something, some sort of mm -hmm. weed. Um, but her followers declared, I quote, either that Shrewd had driven her to self-destruction or poisoned her himself. So no matter how high she got and no matter how incompetent that made her, her followers um, were... It, they, they still worshipped her and thought she could do no wrong. It must be somebody else's fault. And I'm I'm reading, I actually made a note. This is when I was young and naive. Uh, I made a note at the beginning of the book and said like, okay, we've got talk about, we got possibilities for addiction and hero worship or power worship, you know, take your pick mm -hmm. in this case. Um, and these would both be really, really interesting paths to, to go down discussions to have mm -hmm. in this book. I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does with this answer. Nothing. Hold uh, on to those. So, I mean, there was talk about the, you know, smoking at the end of the book and mm -hmm. that kind of created an obstacle. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's about all that we get out of those. So, um, anyway, so I wonder if Ryan, yeah, I was going to save this to till the very end but maybe i'll just say it now i wonder if this will be kind of the opposite of our uh our experience with gentlemen bastards mm -hmm. where in that series the first book started off amazingly well and we were all really engaged really into it and then the second book was kind of a head scratcher and the third book was a disappointment um i at least i'm speaking mm -hmm. broadly i i hope that that's okay for me to to do that for all three of us um but uh but in this one, I wonder if it's the opposite. The third one is just, ma or sorry, the first book so far has been massively frustrating. But uh, according to you, perhaps the second and third will kind of help me understand what she's trying to do and, and help me get on the path. Having finished the series, I can honestly say I don't feel like there are a lot of unanswered questions still for me. Yeah. But the journey to get to that point was not enjoy was not enjoyable enough. Um, it, I feel kind of bad because it's this has been very hard on this book and the series, and it is there is a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. In retrospect, as I look back, there's a lot of good stuff, but I only get to do that because of the having finished it already. Sure. sure. Um, and you know what I. I've had so much frustration with the pacing of the book. Um, and we've vented that now for gosh, like 20 minutes straight. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want to say, uh, you know, I, I hope we get to some of the stuff that we enjoyed because I agree there is stuff here that is very enjoyable. Um, so it I, may just be a minute for us to find it. But so I was, like I said, I was doing one of the things I really wanted to better understand coming into this episode is this is a very well received book it's highly rated people talk people paid to get us to read it yeah so i what i want is i want some help from people who from people who know about 
writing and and fantasy and everything to help me understand why this is looked at so highly because i was reading a short essay i really shouldn't say it was short because it was a bit longer than i wanted to read by steve erickson steve erickson yeah uh gardens of the moon yeah author of malazan uh, book of the fallen series and he the first few chapters of this book is required reading in workshops he teaches because of a point of view perspective first person narrative Okay. You're like, but why this one? Yeah. Is why, that is that your question? Why this book? Why this one? And or what is it that you can pull out of this? What is it that I'm not seeing? Where, where's my education deficient? Yeah. That I'm not enjoying this as much as I'm reading everyone else enjoying this because I want to. I liked. Fitz was boring to me, but I liked him, and I almost I legitimately considered uh, before jumping into the other stuff I've been reading, going and getting into the Tawny Man series, which is the other. Three other trilogy with Fitz, okay. um, and it's going okay. I maybe that maybe there's more to Fitz in these in the next series that makes him even more of an enjoyable character. Yeah, yeah. And I considered it and decided I wasn't going to do that to myself um, yet. Yet, <laughs> at least not yet. I probably will, but I I jumped into Malazan and the Night Angel series. So, so going back kind of to something that you just said, I. I I would say, you know, as far as what what is it about this book? What is there in this book? Like, I, I tried to convey this in my recap, but um, if you just look at the story or the, the seeds of story that are planted, it's all very interesting, or at least potentially interesting. Mm-hmm. Succession, succession politics and assassinations and uh, raiders on the coast. And there was some interesting discussion there of the politics that that creates and uh, you know, this faction doesn't want to pay for the defense of this faction of people and, you know, people fleeing the villages on the coast and all that stuff. Like, it's very interesting. So, like, all the seeds are there. Everything everything that I want in a book <laughs> is I is just, sitting there in the bowl. I just, just think you're going to rename it, like, up. Farseer number one, Seeds of Intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's so, almost interesting. Uh, let's see. I do want to, so I want to change gears a little bit um, and mention that this isn't the sort of thing that I, um, that I bring up all that often, uh, but this is the first series that we have read by a female author. We've mm-hmm. done two female authors previously, Celeste Cheney. Uh, she wrote in absence of fear, which we enjoyed uh, four out of five stars, maybe. Um, and then we read Frankenstein. Uh, which we just recently did. And this is our, so third female author, first female driven or female written series. Um, And uh, and I want to just kind of keep an eye on that because we're used to male authors and they're writing all sorts of different perspectives. And we bring up every once in a while, like, oh, how did Brandon do writing Shallan's perspective in the Stormlight Archive or Vin in in Mistborn or, you know, whoever Mm -hmm. the case may be. but uh, I'm kind of keeping an eye out on how does Robin Hobb do writing a young, you know, preteen boy's point of view. Uh, so when I realized that this entire book was going to be first person and it was all going to be fits, I was like, oh, weird that, that we could be in for an interesting ride with uh-huh. that in mind. Um, frankly, I think she friggin nailed it. Um, and here's just one example of what I mean. In chapter 10, there's this paragraph. Um, the sea was cold. The night was black. And if I'd had any sense, I'd have wished myself elsewhere. 
but there is something in a boy that takes the mundanely difficult and unpleasant and turns it into a personal challenge and an and an adventure and it's a little tiny thing but it's those it's that sort of thing that uh this is oh no you you kind of get you get it what drives a you know a, a young boy to do certain things or frankly a 32 year old man mm-hmm. this is something that my wife doesn't grasp doesn't comprehend about the way that i operate because this is very this rang very true to me personally yeah um these you know the little the little challenges the the um no it's okay that that this is a little bit painful because the reward is on the other side and i really want to get there like i want to i want this adventure so i can have the reward um anyway so there are moments like that sprinkled throughout that kind of made me go, you know what? She's nailing this. Uh, so that's, that is one very positive takeaway that I have. We may not like Fitz. We may think he's boring, um, but she at least gets that sort of thing right. I, yeah. And I think one thing about the way she writes Fitz is that the frustrating part is that Fitz is not an action character. Like in the sense of he's not he's not the one doing things he's not a mover and a shaker yeah, at least he's, not yet yeah he's reacting to to the world around him which can be kind of frustrating to read through but the fact is the way that that we read his responses is on the nose like I I I can remember times feeling um, you know I I can't think of many situations that match fits very straight across but like you talked about the frustrations of uh, wanting to feel included wanting to be a part of something or feeling like you know you don't belong with uh you're the bastard right you know and wanting to belong and having to deal with that and having to kind of take a a side role in things to know you'll never or, or to have that feeling of you'll never be anything great in the in the normal sense of things but uh-huh. that side piece all very real perspectives that that you can grab hold of and say yeah i recognize that i just want to see those perspectives grow and evolve and change and um I Fitz at the end of this book doesn't feel a whole lot different other than age-wise from the Fitz at the beginning of the book. True. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely accurate. Yeah, I think back to your point too, Craig, I think probably the best, uh, the highest praise I can give in terms of did she pull it off was I never noticed anywhere where it wasn't well done. Where it's like, you know oh. I mean? a, so like a, it a, never a became a question. A 13-year-old boy would never do that. Well, it never became a question. Yeah. So it never even crossed my mind that oh, this is a female author writing a male protagonist in the first person. And, and, he, and never once crossed my mind. Yeah. Didn't In fact, until you just brought it up, didn't even register. And so that so in, in and of itself yeah. says she did a really great job. That's the mark of great prose is that it gets out of the way, right? Mm-hmm. And so similarly, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, okay, so another... Uh, another change of course and, and and I will just say that's something that I'll kind of keep an eye on um, as, as best I can as we read the other two books uh, but I, let's talk about the skill mm-hmm. uh, just a little bit we don't have much to say yet about the skill itself because we don't really know what it is um, or what it can do other than that it is a sort of psychic connection mm-hmm. right and so you can you can get into someone else's mind and you can also invite someone else into your mind using the skill if right something like that yeah. okay so you guys you uh, fill in with anything else that you know about it you can communicate telepathically 
So it's like next level text messaging, I guess. And uh, Synapse messaging. Yeah. And you can overtake someone's... Mo- so like there was the moment where they were training with Galen and you can, like you said, you can invite somebody into your mind, but you can also lend somebody your... Your strength. Your strength or your force or your ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they can then take that. But but it takes a physical toll. Um, or at least some sort of some sort of physical toll or psychological toll in the sense that you can die from that if you allow them to do take that too much. Too yeah. much. So I don't know that there was like a really great representation of like here's the outward uh physical manifestation of them doing this too much, but there was a couple of inner dialogues between whichever two characters were connected saying like, like at the very, very end when he's trying to communicate with Verity, is it Verity that he was talking to? Yes. Yeah. And he would, and Verity has to like push him away because he's like, you're giving me too much of your strength. You're going to yeah. die. Uh, that is a thing that can happen. Okay. Um, so because we don't have a lot to talk about with the actual skill, um, I was curious. I wanted to ask you guys a couple peripheral questions, uh, and this is just kind of off the wall and and weird. Uh, but there is some kind of like pseudo scientific uh, speculation that we do all share some sort of psychic connection, mm-hmm. and that it uh, and that it manifests itself most prominently with like twins or mothers with their children. That you know that sort of thing. How much do you guys buy into that? Uh, is is it real? Do you want it to be real, or do you believe it is real? You know that sort of thing. I buy into it quite a bit. Um, if you've ever walked into a room and felt something different about the room, just you kind of the energy, just, the yeah, aura, just, and all that stuff. You start to feel different. You just you do a quick look around the room, and you you say, "All right, people are standing here. There's something awkward going on." But you just get that feeling there. I think to me that's it's a combination of registering outward signals that's and, that's what i'm wondering like micro expressions and that sort of thing yeah, couldn't it yeah. just be that it it could be the micro expressions but i think there's also a connection there that, that can allow you to when you walk in become part of what's there very quickly yeah um it's also mm-hmm. that when you have the sense of um something watching you or or um just being aware of something that's you're not there if you have ever like known i need to go check on my kid right now sure like something like that. And a lot of religions, they're like, you know, that that's some, you know, it's a religious thing. But I very much think that that could be a, a connection of our, whatever part of our mental state. So, so in your mind, even if it's not necessarily a quote unquote religious thing, in your mind, is it a spiritual thing? Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's something, it's something uh, supra bodily yeah, sort of. The whatever energy is that that spark of life or energy or whatever that that's that's made you cognitive and aware. Yeah, yeah. That you share with everyone else. That's an energy, and it goes out mm-hmm. and it, it can connect with and this interact is with other. Easily the most mystical we've ever gotten on the podcast. I'm actually <laughs> super interested right now. Um, I I'm with Ryan on it. I buy into it quite a bit, but yeah. on a weird kind of a kind of a more personal level for me, and this. It's probably just because I'm a judgmental bastard, but <laughs> I tend to have really spot on first impressions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and more specifically, will I connect with this person? And is this person somebody that I want to put forth the effort into getting to know or yeah. not? 
uh you and I have a coworker, well, had a coworker, no longer a coworker. The instant I met this person, I knew this person is not somebody like perfectly pleasant in that encounter, whatever, knew that I did not want to be around that person. Turns out I was spot on. And that has happened in like historically that's happened to me so much that I very much rely on that. And I am pretty off putting to a lot of people because of that. Uh but I I lean on it. <laughs> okay. I this this is wildly interesting. I'm getting such an insight into both of you right now. I, I think it's funny you say that because I I have I don't want to call it a superpower or anything like that because that's not the I way this is. I want you to call it that. <laughs> I do. I really do. But that's what there are certain people that you know have that uncanny ability to see just past and discern what's kind of that there's something deeper going on. And I think it's those who are a little more, uh, for lack of a better term, spiritually aware of that connection um, that we share with people to the point where you can actually, you bounce off their aura, whatever you want to yeah. say. I'm not I'm and, like this crystals and, and magic and stuff yeah. like that doesn't really, that's not really my jive type thing, but there's absolutely, absolutely believe that there's and a And to be there. fair, it's not a hundred percent, but I will say I'm right way more often than I'm wrong. I just want to know if jive is a noun. Uh, okay, all right. I I think I'm I think I'm largely with you guys. I tend <laughs> I tend to think he just in, doesn't want to put himself out, that far out there I, well, yet. I I tend to think in <laughs> Join less us. in less mystical terms. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I, but I, I, I think the I'm description is mystical. I, I mean, we're talking but... about it in a mystical fashion, but <laughs> I've always I've always considered it as more of like an intuition. Sure. Uh, which doesn't sound as mystical but like if we're going to talk about it that's what it is yeah yeah uh you want okay. a more scientific the energy of the neurons firing is <laughs> sure, going out so no i i um the like five i said people I think that are I'm, still listening yeah i know right <laughs> i uh frankly when i go back and re-listen to this in a few months um this will be the most interesting part of the conversation <laughs> to me for sure um uh, oh, okay. Yeah, my other follow-up question: Which would you rather possess, the skill or the wit? The wit. Yeah, probably the wit. I, okay, let me let me phrase it this way: Based on this book's knowledge of the skill and the wit, I would take the wit. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially I, I. And I'm just thinking, like in practical terms, you could do a lot with the skill, uh, but also if you if you're able to like mind meld with animals and communicate with animals that much, like, you know, it's all, it's the whole thing. Like, uh, Oh, now the, the rats in the kitchen become my spies, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, and it's, did did Craig just like allude that he's the dark one himself? (laughs) 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 Uh, come here. I got some taint to show. (laughs) Uh, okay. Uh, uh, oh, okay. I did have one more kind of really positive moment that I wanted to share. Just a a, a flash of really great prose, uh, because again, we skip we we heaped twenty minutes of uh, scorn on the pacing of this book. I do want to point out stuff that uh, that I really enjoyed uh, in chapter twenty two. So this is kind of toward the end of the book. It's in the middle of the main conflict, um, and uh, and Fitz says all those thoughts had taken but a fraction of a second. Cobb's outflung hand had not struck the floor before I was moving for the door. 
Ketrickin was even faster. I think it was a brass water ewer. I saw it as a white burst of light. And like, just that little paragraph, mm-hmm. for some reason, as I read that, caught my attention and went, I just went, oh, that's a nice, a nice bit of prose. Yeah. So if, yeah, it, I don't read it that well, yep. but if you see it on the page, it's really nice. Um, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, uh, I did really like the climax of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it only lasted for all of four pages. Um, but I did want to tell you guys, I was listening to the um, Return of the King soundtrack uh, last night as I was finishing the book. And it got to the moment where uh, just pure coincidence, this happens every once in a while. And when it does, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the end of all things on the Return of the King soundtrack is the it's the big choral music where Frodo and Sam and Gollum are fighting around the cracks of doom and uh, and it, it's it's all super intense and that was going on as uh he was having his throwdown with um what's the other prince not Verity Galen Ro- Ro- uh, Royal R- R- Regal Regal he's Regal. having his he's having his showdown with Regal and um and then they're doing all the psychic connections and stuff and then that kind of breaks and at the same moment on the soundtrack it broke as well and it went into the really nice like frodo's laying in bed smiling at everybody in slow motion Mm -hmm. like it was (laughs) it was perfect it was the most beautiful moment and uh when that sort of thing happens it really helped me enjoy (laughs) the end of the book which i think would have been great regardless but it was a nice moment uh after after all the pacing issues and stuff, we do get to the end, and it's it's even if we've had no lead up to the wedding scene, um, it's still I thought pretty good. What did you think of the ending of the book, Kyle? Uh, I didn't love it. No, no. Is it because I, of the lack of build up? Yeah, I also didn't love the. I'm here to poison you. Here's this poison, and then like purposely not trying to poison him and then he gets poisoned anyways and it just it felt too heavy-handed of like i'm gonna try to give you a twist and then another twist you know what i mean like (laughs) it just it rubbed me the wrong way i I know that's probably not the same way for everybody but i just didn't love it it felt too forced i think for me it just made fits it like Ryan I think you mentioned we we have the same fits at the beginning of the book as we do at mm-hmm. the end where it's like no he's learned nothing he's well, that, he's still completely incapable was, of doing anything it, right it totally undercut fits because yeah. for me when he got there and he tells him I'm here to poison you and then they're kind of buddy buddy joking about it I was like oh fits has had something going on this whole time yeah he's figured it out he's going to he's going to like I don't know, pull some something in the next couple of pages he that wraps it all up and it's going to answer all these questions. <laughs> I'm thinking it's nope. Locke Lamora type stuff. No, like literally nothing. No, he's and, just kind of a dumbass. <laughs> and it was really disappointing. Yeah, despite all that, I agree. I, I agree with everything you're saying. And despite all that, I still sure. had a good time with the ending. Ryan? this I, Both aspects of what you're saying are true about the ending here because... One of my biggest frustrations about the series as a whole and fits is that the try fail cycle in this series isn't try fail. It's just fail, 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 fail. I 
get and so you know how much we hate fail. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mostly what it does to Perrin. <laughs> there, there are, there are very few wins for Fitz in this series, and it irritates me. Um, I want them to get something sometime, and have it last. Um, but on the other hand, it also tells me that this author is not afraid. Like in that end sequence there of poisoning the brother um, Rurisk, and that nothing is off the table except for Fitz actually dying because right. you know he's writing this as plot armor. Sure, here you know that anything's any character can be killed other than Fitz, and Fitz doesn't have to succeed at anything. So there's always that level of risk in anything he's approaching. So positive, also an incredibly frustrating thing because I need him to win sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, like I said earlier, I am kind of, I'm hoping now with what you've said, Ryan, that this will be a reverse uh, Scott Lynch experience and that uh, books two and three will start to shed more light on book one and that, you know, we'll get, more of a buildup of a story and, and get to know Fitz a little bit better, but we better wrap this up. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts to share? Uh, Ryan, you look like you're looking something up, something you want to share. No, I'm, I'm looking into the next book to try and remind myself of things. So I don't say anything. <laughs> I shouldn't. So Kyle, why don't you share your final thoughts on assassin's apprentice? I just can't believe that the dog came back and the dog saved him at the end. <laughs> Like I was okay with that. People probably right. will think that I'm heartless, but that was dumb. It was just dumb for me. And you know, it provided a nice moment with Burrich. Sure. That, that I that I needed because that and was the only relationship in the entire book that got any real, uh, any any real arc. And so I appreciated the moment that it gave us with but, Burrich. But again, it just undercuts everything that she did before with the dog, like the whole taking the dog out and yep. lost the connection that just completely undermines all of that. I assume the dog and, was dead and the yep. bird had killed him. Yep. And to bring that back and be like, Oh nope. And then it wasn't even like there was kind of that nice moment, but Birch this just then says we should just go our separate ways because there can't be misunderstandings when there's no understandings at all. And so it wasn't like this thing that brought them back together and going forward, they're going to be right? buddies. That was proof that Kyle actually read the book. That was a line from the book. It Very was good. a line from the yeah, book. Or at least he looked at the last few pages. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I did. Sorry. Anyway, go on. Uh, I just, I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Ryan, final thoughts. This book, you're in for the long haul if you want to have a good experience. You mean series-wise? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. that's the way I've, I currently feel about it. Um, you know, it's funny when I... When people ask me about Mistborn, they're like, oh, I'm thinking about starting Mistborn. Um, <clears throat> one of the nice things about that trilogy is I tell them that the end of the third book is the greatest ending I have ever read, ever. Mm -hmm. um, however, if you don't get there, that's okay. The ending of the first book, great. A lot of fun. That's great. So this is kind of... Uh, not that experience. Uh, you gotta, no. you gotta follow through, right? So, um, all right. Well, I think I've shared enough of my thoughts today, so I'll call it there. Uh, 
let's look forward then to what's the next one? Royal Assassin, book two. Uh, Blue Team is reading the third book in the Dresden Files. And doing Skyward. And Skyward, that's right. Skyward is coming up. So if you've been looking forward to that, you can continue for a little while looking forward. I should be making a guest appearance on that one. Oh, that's right. So Ryan and the Blue Team, that sounds like a band. Uh, (laughs) Probably should be. Uh, We'll be doing Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. If you haven't read it, read it. It's apparently quite good. I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, Anyway, uh, another reminder, patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can go support the show and join the conversation at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks, everybody, for listening along with us. We really appreciate you uh, listening and supporting us in whatever way you're able to. And uh, until next time, see you later. Bye.